DTFF podcast. My name is Ash, and I'm joined with two people. We've got uh, Scott back from hiatus. Hey there. And we got Todd. Oh, again. So we're all back together again, which is nice. Uh, Scott's <laughs> back for a little bit uh, from doing some training down at the coast. Uh, but uh, first up, we're going to chat about uh, something that happened pretty cool down in Osiris with Todd which we did share some photos of it, but uh, Todd, what did you guys get up to the other uh, practice? Yeah, so we had um, our new rescue truck we put into service officially, so we did the official uh, push-in, which is, of course, is a traditional based on uh, back in the day <clears throat> with the horse uh, horse and carriage and buggy. Uh, we have to detach the horses and push the buggy into the fire hall, right, or the barn. <clears throat> so we did that. As per tradition, so we had a uh, mayor and some council members there and a whole bunch of family as well. Uh, so we pushed in and officially got our rescue truck uh, going. But we also did three dedications. So this last little while here, we've had our rescue truck, uh, our tender 191, and our brush truck. Brush 191 uh, is our three newest apparatus. So we did truck dedications. Um, so basically, uh, one was for my dad based on 54 years of uh, service to the fire department. Uh, so we got a commemorative um, sticker decal on the back of the, that truck. And then the other one for the tender is um, Chief Percy Bates, which was the uh, first fire chief for Suez. And then our rescue truck, we did uh, Chief retired Chief uh, Paul Baylog. So he came there as well and dedication with the memorial plaque. Or, and on memorials, he's still alive. <laughs> black uh on his truck uh which he was really it was really awesome to see him there and his son there because his son was on the fire department for many many years as well so he was absolutely tickle pink to see it he was snooping around the truck and making sure he knows how everything works and he was making jokes that he could drive this thing any day now because his name's on the truck so that was really cool to see and we we're able to have all the family members involved as well so that was uh it was a very touching moment it was really uh really thought out and basically we just wanted to really you know, show the history and have a talking point of the fire department history because the history of our of the fire service is huge, and each department has very deep rooted um, uh, history to each their own. And you know, once we moved into our new hall, you know, we're working on more uh, plaques and just making people aware of what that history in Osuyas is. Uh, so this was part of it. So that's pretty awesome to see. Yeah, I think that's really, really cool. Uh, seeing the photos that came up of that, um, you know, with yours specifically, uh, having, you know, your family, your wife and kids there, uh, photos of your sister was there, your mom was there, stuff, stuff like that. Really, really cool. Um, getting the, you know, the entire family involved for, for such a cool, you know, uh, truck dedication is awesome. Um, and you guys are like us with the newer hall. Ours now is getting pretty old and busted. I think it's still sweet, but um, like yours is brand, brand new, and ours has got a few years of service on it. Um, but when you move from a long-standing hall into something new, sure, it's all squeaky clean and nice and bright and everything looks great, but how do you take some of that that tradition, some of like you know the throwback memory of what came before us? Uh, so I think you guys are on uh, a pretty cool thing there with uh, you know the whole truck dedication thing uh, to some of those firefighters that had major impact. Um, like your dad, like fifty-four years of service is insane. Uh, the first chief, um, a previous chief, like things like that um, is really really cool. So yeah, that that was awesome to see. Thanks a lot for uh, sharing that with us and all of our listeners and followers. So 
Yeah, and going forward, uh, our new apparatus that's coming in the future as well, um, we've got to kind of pre-dedicate it um, as well. So our next engine that's going to be arriving next year um, is already pre-dedicated to uh, one of our past chiefs, um, Walter Lemke, as well. And so he was there, and he was made aware of it as well. Um, so we'll invite him when that truck arrives. So it's pretty cool to see. Awesome. Yeah, really cool. Uh, so I wanted to get on top of that and just kind of put, put that out there to start the podcast here tonight. Uh, really, really cool. So congrats to everybody that was named there. Uh, yeah, really cool event. Um, so with Scott back, you were away for quite a while. But while you're away, you managed to race back to take a course over the weekend. Uh, you and Grant uh, took a TFL course. So why don't you tell us about that and kind of how that all came came to be and what all happened there? Yeah. Um, so the, what a TFL is, it's a task force leader. Um, I think we've talked about it before. Um, so on, on a wildfire call, the task force leader runs um, several apparatus, basically. Um, it doesn't always have to be a, ta- they're called a task force leader, but they could also run a strike team. So they could run run similar app or the same apparatus, um, but their, their nickname is a TFL. So um, this course is the first of two. So there's levels. There's first level um, TFL one, which is what I just took, and that's kind of to do uh, local task force force stuff, and possibly getting deployed out to the uh, outer regions to go do some work out there. But mainly, it's concentrating like locally to help run um, like big wildfires here. And then uh, the the number two, the second one is you actually make the provincial list, and then they would call you to go do um, course uh, deployments out. Um, anywhere basically in the province that needs help. Yeah, so it was it was a good course. Um, first day, I think it was what, two days, um, two actually full days. wasn't um, wasn't one of those courses where you you know you get there at ten and then you sit around for an hour and then you do nothing. <laughs> it was like no, it was like we're here, we get started. Um, you know, PowerPoint heavy, but um, the two instructors were were seasoned um, BC Wildfire um, members. They also have structural protection stuff, so. Um, they had a lot of good stories and it wasn't like, and it was a Rick all relatable stuff. So um, a lot of a good experience. So the first day, yeah, it was all PowerPoint, but it was like really quite in depth PowerPoint, some um, good videos and th- those sorts of things. Um, but it was a pretty good review of what we call the engine boss course. So um, engine boss is what um, we all have. And Todd, you don't have engine boss, do you? I know. So we're doing uh, Engine Boss coming up here in April with you guys when you guys are hosting. Because um, we tried doing the Engine Boss, I guess, with the last one was that spring? Or no, fall. It was just fall uh, out in Grand Forks. But we had to reschedule. We had some conflicting things going on. But uh, yeah, we haven't really been in the deployment um, position with our department. Um, so, and with the Engine Boss stuff, like we, as long as we have a fire officer. It, it works they're happy enough with it but they do prefer any boss as you guys know but we are that is up and coming for all of us so that's essentially what the the first day was was a big review a lot of a uh, huge review on what engine boss job is um because a task force leader runs the engine bosses so um as we talked about before the engine boss is basically the captain of the truck it's just another term they use for forestry guys um or for structural protection i should say Actually, it's structure defense. That's one thing we always call it structure protection. It's actually structure defense. Where um, structure protection is the structure defense is what we do when we come into apparatus. 
Um, so it was a big review on that. Um, a lot of review on tactics on why we do what we do um, and how it's changed over the years. You know, in this program, it's it's still fairly new. It's I want to say it's the last ten to fifteen years where we've really been implementing this kind of um, cohesion between wildfire and structure protection, structure defense. So the structure, so us being municipal or volunteers um, with engines and stuff, um, how we mix in with the with the BC wildfire guys. So um, we went through all the tactics, the uh, you know, and just to go over those tactics um, real quick. Uh, so everyone's kind of clear. The main tactics, uh, first one is uh, they call, and this is working backwards, so uh, check and go. So check and go is uh, literally the fire is right, coming right at us. Um, we don't have time to set up any defenses. We don't have time to set up sprinklers. Um, we know we're about to start losing structures. Um, there's really no um, good defense. Um, the only, and one of the precursors to a defendable position is you have to have a safety zone to be able to fall back to. So, you know, you're out in the woods, no no safety zone to fall back to. Um, no good water supply, and you you can't really defend the structures. So they call the first one's called a check and go. So basically, you you roll up the house, knock on all the doors as many as you can find, um, do a real quick see if there's any um, civilians around, and gone. You're leaving. You don't do any fire smarting. Don't move any you know, furniture. Nothing. Just it's you're literally checking for people, and you're leaving. Um, the next one um, is probably I guess that would be a, a prep and go. So. Um, now you have a little bit more time, but still, it's a uh, it's a position where you're not going to be able to defend it. So you uh, you would give the command just to you know, again you're going to go around the house. Um, first of all, make sure no one's there. Secondly, you're going to kind of fire smart real quick. Um, any stuff that's simple to move. Um, but it kind of reminds me of that the fire we had uh, a couple of years ago when Todd you were helping us and you, you looked up and you saw there was a mattress on the deck that has just started burning. Um, that, I mean, that doesn't really fall into prep and go, but it's kind of idea, right? We, we would have found the mattress, thrown out the deck, and got out of there. In our case, we actually uh, stayed and defended it, but um, that would be a prime example of something you, you would remove. You'd remove stuff, flammable stuff, immediately flammable. If there is a big wood pile or something, um, you're not going to have time to prep it. So you're just going to uh, do your best. It might even be just check and go, just out of there. Um, the next one is... Um, Trying to think. I guess uh, prep and defend would be our next option. So our next option is now we're gonna we're kind of kind of we're gonna wait. We think we have enough water. We think we have enough resources, and we're gonna we're gonna prep and defend this position. So we prep the position, move all the flammables. We do what's called jackpotting. So you jackpot the um, kind of all the you know main flammable stuff into a big pile, usually in the driveway or or into the lawn. And you can throw a sprinkler on it, so that way that's where all the external flammables are. And you literally just stay and, and you wait for the fire to come. And one of the big things that the big takeaway, well, not takeaway, one of the big reminders that kept reminding us is if we're not there to fight the the um, the, the firewall, we're there to we're there to fight the ember shower, the ember storm. So um, you know, and like the, the fire itself is not actually the thing that's causing houses to burn. It's it's all the ember transfer. So that's really what we're there for. So we prep and defend when we hold there. Um, and then if kind of that starts turning south on us, we would go to uh, what we call a bump and run tactic. So a bump and run is um, is really more what we did on uh, the um, the big fire we had here. As it was constantly moving on us. So we were we stayed mobile. Um, we defended the structures. But then what we'd do is we'd, we'd, we'd rack the hose real quick and move to the next section, defend that structure, move to the next section. So 
that was really close to what we would be doing anyways, a bumper run. It's generally our tactic for a lot of things around here. Um, either that or prep and prep and defend. Um, yeah, I, th I think actually looking, thinking back of, <clears throat> of that fire in particular, I think there's definitely moments of the fire where, you know, some apparatus were doing the, uh, the prep and defend and then other ones were out doing that prep and prep and go. And then <laughs> as things progressed, then we're back into that, uh, kind of bump and run procedures. Like it was, it was, it seemed like it kind of kept switching back on, on certain sections for a little while anyways. Yeah. And, and it really, and that's what I'm going to talk about later is, is how these plans, like you make these plans and they can bump, they kind of change, right? Like anything else. Um, so after bump and run, um, and this is one that, I, that it took us a bit to figure out because we have what's called anchor and hold. And kind of what we all thought at one point was anchor and hold because anchor and hold means you're tied into a big water. So you're tied into a hydrant. Um, and I always thought it was, you're waiting for the fire to hit. Um, so you're defending, you're waiting for the fire to hit, but it's actually, you're, you're tying in after maybe a structure starts getting involved or something that, or you're trying to prevent another structure from lighting up. So, um, you're, you're staying untied from the hydrants. So you're staying in that prep and defend position until a structure starts to burn. And then if you're, if it's in your plan and you have the capabilities to, that's when you anchor in to a hydrant. And then you start fighting the fire. So it actually makes a lot of sense because you're not anchoring in and spraying a bunch of water because um, we've kind of seen it on a few different fires we've been on. When um, departments anchor in on the hydrants, um, you could run out of water. Um, you, If something kicks off behind you, you might not be mobile enough to go uh, fight it. So there's all these, all these things that could happen. Um, and then kind of that would go kind of hand in hand with uh, fire front following. So basically the fire has come through, um, maybe lit some structures up, Maybe um, it's it's come through, but now you're going to kind of go um, just behind it and you're going to fight what's left of the, uh, the fires, right? You're going to put out any embers around structures that aren't lost. You're going to put out structures that are involved um, because the fire's already passed through. You're just trying to make sure there's no transfer of, of fire. And then the last one is, is tactical patrolling. And tactical patrolling can fit in anywhere. Um, we use it a lot. Like what we were talking, we use it now on structure fire. So structure fire, just to, we kind of reverse engineer it. So structure fire in the summer, or, you know, realistically, whenever the wildfire danger rating starts getting up there, we started adding a tactical patrol in because there's a lot of embers that are kicked up in the air and they're floating across uh, the valley here. And we started throwing, getting a bush truck to come out uh, and patrolling, you know, the outer, you know, a couple blocks to make sure we have no other fire starts just from a structure fire. Um, but looking at it the other way, now wildfires coming in, blowing lots of embers on top of us. Uh, I look at, you know, the fire you uh, we had it, your, your, uh, town, Todd, um, we, you and I were doing some, um, tactical patrols at night. We were kind of rolling around in the neighborhood because we had a bush. We were in the actually command vehicle, but we had some piss cans with us to help fight the, the amber transfers. Um, right. so that was kind of our job that night. So those are, those are realistically the tactics that we would use. Um, I'll talk about the planning in a minute, but I don't have anything to add on that. No, I think the only thing really to touch base on is, like, like Scott said, I think we were kind of looking at that anchor and hold a little bit differently. And even now going back to the engine boss course up in uh, Grand Forks. So kind of the last scenario um, on the second day for us was when everything kicks off. And that was a big deal. And like the entire first half of the day was all bump and run. You're prep and go, prep and defends. Um but they didn't have us tie into a hydrant until the very last one. And looking back, the scenario was we were tasked to the end of this road. 
and one house was starting to catch on fire. So that's where they got us to tie into the hydrant. The big water came out, um, and we were actually going aggressively to stop the transfer from that structure going on to the next. So we were allowed to firefight the structure that was on fire from the outside of the structure. There was no going in because it was already venting through the roof or what you know whatever it was. But because of those embers and the, the proximity of the neighboring houses, they wanted multiple ap- apparatus on scene to stop that transfer from structure to structure. So even that was like is really clicking in the brain that that makes a lot more sense. You know, and I think that was one of the things that we got confused with because when our engine boss course, we we anchor and held we we held on multiple hydrants along the street. We actually just launched water into the um, into the tree line, and I brought that up, and the instructor has said, "Well, he goes, the reason why we do that is just because we don't want you to flood someone's actual house. Like in training, we can't just um, just." randomly flood someone's house. So, um, and that's what we do if we are, if, you know, five deck guns for Ambulance one house. <laughs> so we, we, um, so he said, yeah, we try to make that more clear now that it's, you know, the structure's on fire. We're hitting it with big water, basically. So that's, that's kind of where, where that comes from. Um, but yeah, the, the, those skill, those tactics that were very, are very important to know because um, it's common. It's kind of common terms we use throughout the province now. Um, and you know, a lot of the world now, the, the Americans use it a lot now. So, um, if we say we're doing like a prep and go, we all know what we're doing. We're not just like, I'm going to stay here and move some furniture and maybe leave eventually. Okay. Well, what do we call that? Yeah. So we, we know the terms now, so we can say it as a task and, it, and it's really important as a task force leader, because you can just say that over the radio. You can just say, you know, engine one, eight, one, uh, prep and go that house as you're driving by. Like hold it this re- re- uh, and and that's really that that leader's intent, that commander's intent. Um, and that, they talked about that a lot. How we just you know as a task force leader, you don't tell them how to do it. You just tell them um, what you want done, um, when you want it done. Why, or sorry, why why do we want it done, and what it should look like when we're done. So um, you know whether it's the house burns down or not, we're we're going to try do this. If it, if something changes, we're going to we're going to change our tactics and go to something else. So. Um, so those common terms, that was really, we talked about that a lot. I think, and going back, like we were saying, like, you know, before forestry, like, it's all, it's a fairly new concept the past 10 years or so when they've been using us for this type of stuff. So having that, that more knowledge on these common terminologies is, is just, we're getting better and better, especially the past few years, how our wildfire season has been a lot more violent. Um, and it's, uh, you know, this last summer. Shit, there was mass calls for everybody to send as much as you can up the valley. You know, so you're getting a lot of crews that traditionally aren't very comfortable with this or, or experienced with uh, working in that forestry environment. So having that terminology, very common, very simple, and just that commander's intent and understanding what it is, is uh, is huge. And I know you guys train that way. And it works really well. We're training that way. It works well. And I just hope everybody else starts picking up the same and continues on. Yeah, they were saying that how over the last few years, just by us doing this, uh, the wildfire guys are getting more comfortable with, with us around. So they're, they're actually taking not more risk. They're taking, uh, they're, they're doing a lot more controlled burns near us, um, because they, because in the years past, if they controlled burn and we weren't around, um, control burn can go not controlled really quick. Um, wind shifts a little bit. And that next thing they're burning down houses when they didn't mean to, um, now with us around, they can use us as a line of defense. So we can, uh, the sprinkler protection guys can come in, start setting up sprinklers, 
we can, um, if it's like a planned um, uh, controlled ignition, you know, in a day or two, they can, we can really prep those, those front lines to hold. Um, but if it's, you know, it's quick, like we, you know, Ash always tells the story of the guy like, well, that's rank five as fuck. Like gets out of the truck and they start back burning right away. Well, I think part of that was the fact that we had an engine sitting there and, you know, he was comfortable with back burning right away and burning off that material right near the house. Right. So that, that probably saved that house. You know, we, I mean, sure. We were there saving the house too, but I think, um, by them burning off all that material, that's actually, that, that really helped save the house. Um, and then we just kind of do the, the, the kind of nitty gritty stuff of dealing with the embers, ember storms and stuff like that. <clears throat> yeah. I think like one of the key things with BC wildfire, putting on more and more of these courses and getting that, you know, common terms out there, getting that knowledge base back, back out to all, all these local departments here. Um, like we're registered with BC wildfire. So we register a couple pieces of equipment every single spring and like we'll send our water tender or our brush truck or our engine. Um, likely not all three at once unless everything really kicks off locally, but we'll get a phone call or an email. It's generally going to be an email asking for a piece of equipment and we'll eventually send some something out. And the, the things that we send will be with a trained crew that understands those common terms. So everybody's on the same, same page. Well, if we flash back to last summer, well, there was no, you know, big formal request with all of the qualified people. We all got tones up and down the valley and it was send anything you have, anybody that you have, because we're losing homes like left, right and center. And they're just, it was an all hands on deck. So you do start to run into some of the people that, you know, aren't familiarized with some of these forestry terms. Um, so the more that they can put these courses on, the more that we can get, like bring that message back. And like, we've, we've been pretty switched on to that for many years now. I know Todd, you guys are the same, um, you know, where you guys might not be going out on deployment as, as frequently as say we are, but you guys are still buying into the pro into the process and now you're getting engine bosses sent sent out you're practicing the tactics so like that's catching on so even for a group like yourself where you might not be going out as frequently you're still buying into it and you're getting yourself trained trained up to it hell like a lot of our smaller uh neighboring departments like they're small but like they bought right into it and you know, they've, they've got a small group of people that they can sacrifice out to a brush truck or to an engine, and they're making money for their community off of this, right? Because, like, BC Wildfire pays. Like, it's not like you're out there for free either. So it's amazing opportunities that are coming down the pipe here, and uh, it's only going to continue to grow, I think. Well, then the experience you gain out in the outer areas, like away from your home department, you can bring it back here, and then, you know, when stuff happens you have these experienced members that can be like, no, no, that's not, that's not, that's, this is probably a better way to fight it. This is a better way to, you know, um, to do this uh, type of attack. I mean, we've seen that already. We've, you know, we had a wildfire last year um, running up, running behind our high school here. And um, you can see the members that have been on several deployments now. We're just kind of like, yeah, this is just nothing. Like we're, we're just going to, we're going to prep and defend. We're going to do this. Like, and we can say it over the radio, Hey, bump and run. Um, you know, do this, do that. And they, and they, you know, we're, we're, we're used to having helicopters fly over our heads now. We're used to all this stuff because it's just a common thing. We're used to forestry working with us, um, you know, understanding where the, how they lay, lay hose, how they work. 
Um, just all these things kind of work hand in hand now that we've done it several times throughout the region. You know, and also, like you mentioned, with the gaining that experience when you get sent out on stuff, like it really just it settles people down. Like we had a fairly rookie crew on some of our trucks when we went up, uh, up the valley to um, uh, kind of the lake country area in West Kelowna last summer. And man, the ember storm that we were in and the amount of fire that was surrounding all the homes, you know, a couple homes went up. Like that experience, their eyes were, they were jacked, you know. And then when we had our fire, it was like, oh, okay, it's a rank three grass fire. We can chill, you know, like we had, they had time. So we always talked about that train. Hey, it's the ember storm. This is what we were getting. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, okay, it's the ember storm, ember storm. But they never really saw it until we went up there and it's burning into your arm i'm quickly trying to get my sleeves down my arm because i was just riding in the truck for the past 15 minutes right and yeah it's uh it's something else to be in the middle of that shit show so it's uh it's pretty amazing to see what people take away from that and then just build that confidence for when we get our local event for us yeah so uh i guess back to the tfl so one of the thing uh, there's a few things we actually had to do um as a TFL. So one of the things you do is you give your briefing um, every, every morning you have to give your crew brief. Um, so we all had to, our, we were divided into like four task force. So, and at, at each task force uh, table, there was four members. So we would be running our own task force, but we're also like the task force leaders. So we had to brief the other teams. Um, so me being the youngest on my table, I was the one that did the scribing. And then I was also the one that did the talking <laughs> So it was actually good. It was it was pretty good because you know I I I kind of got the um, most experience I guess out of the out of the course I say because I got to do like the talking and the writing and and that kind of stuff. So um, as much as like sometimes you don't want to be that person that does all this, like it has to be the spokesman. It actually really helps you. So um, you know I stood up did the talk did a lot of the talking for the for the group for my group. Um, but it was good because I got, to, I got a chance to do the briefing. So the briefing, um, they give us a, um, an IAP, um, a pre made one that they've, that was actually, they're all real ones from out in the field. So, and it's an action plan. Um, so we actually had to go through, I think we had like 10 or 15 minutes to go through as a task force, um, and pick out kind of the important parts, you know, and some important things are like, what's the weather going to be? Um, what's the weather production for the day? um what's uh material where where what kind of material are we dealing with uh you know are we dealing with uh pine trees are we dealing with uh scanning grass um when is crossover happening uh, you know what are the main kind of goals for the day are we prepping houses are we um are we fighting the fire are we you know all these like there's all these things we do um what are the radio comms basically we're following the laces uh, the um, lookouts where the lookouts going to be um some of the anchor points um communication wise and we have to like know what channels we're always going to be on and then last is or then they, we have the escape routes so how are we how are we going to get out are they timed all that kind of stuff and then and then finally the safety zone so uh we had to know all that so in our briefing we had to give that that was our briefing. So that's what the briefing that every TFL gives in the morning before you, your crew goes out. So we got to do that. And then I think the biggest takeaway for the weekend was, um, was something called the pace. So the pace plan, which is the, um, it's a military thing. And I'd heard it before, but I didn't really know what it was. I heard, Oh, we're doing the pace plan. It's like, Oh yeah, I don't understand what that means. It sounds, sounds slow (laughs) because we're keeping the pace. 
but it's actually it's just an acronym like most things uh so the acronym is uh that your primary your alternate um your contingency and your emergency so um and when you first hear it you're like yeah yeah that sounds like i always do that like that's always my my go-to is is, is what we do we always have a, we always have a plan but do we have an alternate plan and if that fails do we have a contingency plan and if that doesn't work what's our final like oh shit we're out of here so that's what we were um, kind of challenged to do. Um, they give us these scenarios, and we had to come up with a, uh, a pace. So um, the primary plan is literally like, if everything went perfectly, what would you guys, what would you be doing? So I looked. There was this one scenario we did. Um, we were defending the mill. So we, we, it was kind of the final scenario. We all had this. Um, we all had a section of this big fire to deal with. So um, our task force was, are we were in charge of defending this mill, which is like the lifeblood of this property or this town. So that was our only task. We didn't care about the forest and care about anything else. Just we were defending the mill. So our primary objective or our primary plan was literally um, like we could, we could ask for as many resources as we want, but they would say no to us if, we got carried away. Like, Hey, we want like five helicopters and a water bomber. And they like, know you get, you can have like, realistically, you can have maybe two type one engines. You can have um, a couple type sixes, type six engines are like bush trucks. Like what we can have like fast movers um, to fight for spot fires. Um, maybe you want to type three, which is a little bit, which is a slower moving engine, but it's, um, it has more water, right? Sorry. It's slow, slower moving than a, than a wildland truck, but it has some water on it. Um, when you get into type ones and twos, they carry SCBA on them so they can actually fight structure fire. So, so you kind of want to type one or two kicking around because if it gets into the structure, you're probably gonna have to throw SCBA on and fight that structure fire. So you really kind of want to have at least one type one or one type two kicking around. And plus obviously it's gonna have more water. So we got to choose what we get. Um, they only gave us one, um, SBU. So one sprinkler protection unit between all four of us. And it was a type two meaning it only has six pumps so at one point during planning i actually went to each table as though i was like like driving around in my truck and i so i went to another task force i said hey how many pumps do you guys actually need out of this trailer and they're like well one okay perfect so we ended up i think we ended up taking two they took one so we had that as a plan so when we briefed everybody on it we said you know we went around talked to everybody this is our plan um so basically our our primary plan was to um, lay out, uh, like to basically set up a prep and defend because we found that the mill was defensible because it had a big safety zone because um, we, we had these aerial maps so we could see there was an old log log uh, pile, but it was it had been um, basically had been milled. So there's basically a big open field. So there's more than enough room to park all our apparatus and to be well within the flame height and every, and we, we were able to defend it. So um we were going to do uh, prep and defend so we were we were holding and then uh the, the type one engines were going to basically do that the type sixes were going to do kind of bump and run tactics drive around so you can the cool thing about this pace thing is you can have multiple plans going at once you can have like two primary plans so one engine group could be doing like one couple engines in your task force could be doing one plan and your you know type sixes could be doing another plan so the type sixes were doing tactical patrols sorry not not prep not bump and runs tactical patrols and then the type um, ones we're doing prep and defend. And then the alternate plan is now what if things start going wrong? Like what if your primary plan is starting to 
starting to fail a little bit, but you don't want to like, it's, it's not like an abandoned ship thing. It's not like we're changing the total plan. So it has to be close to what you're already doing. So, um, our alternate plan was, um, if embers started falling inside the perimeter, the bush trucks would turn into a bump and run. So they'd start doing bump and run tactics, hitting those little spot fires. And our, uh, our engine would actually keep, keep holding on the, uh, on the prep and defend. They, they continue to defend. Um, so every section of this plan of the pace has to have a trigger point. So our trigger point to go into our alternate plans, because it can also be multiple plans, was if embers start falling inside the perimeter, this is our trigger point. Any questions so far? I don't know. That's good. <laughs> so basically the, um, the trigger point for our alternate plan was, um, um, embers and small spot fires. Actually, but um, just a quick question. So, on our past fires that we've had, <clears throat> some of our our rookier crew members in the, in my truck, um, I start, I teach them trigger points. I talk about trigger points and think, okay, well, what would be a good trigger point for our train the fire the activity and what we're defending? Uh, is that something that you guys are talking with some of your members in the truck crews as well, or is that just kind of, are you keeping that as the officer conversation? I think, um, lately we've been starting to talk about it more. Um, I think our most recent fire, like the big one we had, there was really no time to set trigger points. Um, I think everybody kind of knew, um, I know Ash, you had a different trigger point for, uh, and the, the issue is some, some people's trigger points are going to be, if you haven't pre-planned the trigger point, um, the captain might be like, well, my trigger point's this. And somebody less seasoned on wildfire might be like, oh, I want out of here right now. Because, <laughs> like, my trigger point is I see smoke. <laughs> so um, it's definitely good having that plan. And I think one thing that really got me is I used to think trigger points had to be almost like a a line in the sand. Like, the fire hits this tree line, that's our trigger point. And it could be that. But it could also be the wind speed picks up to the speed. Um, embers start landing in our perimeter like ours was. Um, so trigger points could be anything that um, we just, it just changes. A, it could be potentially a potential thing that is going to change your plan. So that's really what a trigger point is. It's just any of these things that any of these little uh, situations that can happen that are they're going to change things. And it's not, doesn't mean you run away or you withdraw or you retreat. It means that you, um, you could with, withdraw slightly and reassess. So that could be all your trigger trigger is like, oh shit, like this hit now, what are we going to do? Okay. But if you have it as a pace, if you already plan this, um, even if you jot it down really quick on your back where your IAP is, there's no, like, I wouldn't say you're going to panic, but there's right away. Um, as soon as embers start landing in your perimeter, you're like, okay, this is part of the plan. It's not like an emergency. It's just, okay, we know this is probably going to happen. Like, you, you know, embers are probably going to land in your perimeter. Okay. So our, we're going to just switch the plan to the alternate route, which is now bump and run with the, with the fast movers with this type six is fast movers. And, um, and your engines are going to continue to prep and defend. <laughs> and then from there, what happens is, so now part of the, so now we did the P, the A, so now we get to contingency. So now what happens if, um, we start losing our perimeter. So now the fire is getting bigger. Um, maybe our contingencies, we've now started losing structures. So we can't, we're not tied in, and this, because this mill was, um, it was on hydrant water, but it was on hydrant water inside of a, um, uh, that was running off the, the, the power inside the, um, the mill. So we said, okay, our trigger point will be is if we start losing structures inside the perimeter of the mill, 
we're going to fall back. So our contingency, which is our C, we're going to fall back, cover the main mill, and cover the electrical building to continue with our hydrants. So we, and then we'll anchor on, we'll basically anchor and hold on on that building and and defend structure, defend the structure from burning structures around it. And then the um, the um, fast movers will continue to do bumping runs. And then finally, our emergency plan is okay. Whatever everything's going for shit, we've now we've lost we've lost the main mill, we've lost um, our power, and we're starting to lose our our exits, uh, our escape routes. Um, emergency, we're gonna, we're going to basically blow out to our safety zone. We're going to hold there. We're going to reassess, uh, and then withdraw. And then and then basically, once uh, we figure out what's going on, we can push back in and do some flame front following or whatever. So that's it's all in the plan. So there's no like panic like you you're already basically planning for this so there's no like oh my god we failed no it's like this is in our plan so this is why you know if it's there it was just the final last ditch emergency it was in the plan so doing that over and over again really helped and, and it was and it by the end of it i could actually make pretty quick um plans and it just that that pace really does help yeah I think being able to lay to lay that out and Todd, I'm not sure if your question was like, do you share like do you share those trigger points with just your like leadership group or like how does that roll out? I know like going back to some of these other, you know, scenarios, these calls, like when we went down, um and our truck was helping you guys, like we had a couple trigger points, so we weren't tying into hydrogen supply. So we actually had a couple trigger points, which is when we were able to start flowing water. So I don't want to have anything flowing water until it gets to this point. I don't want anything until it gets to this point. Um, and then we were going to pull ourselves out because we didn't have that safety water supply. Um, and like we had like that last emergency plan that if, if we were in a defensive zone doing our job, blah, 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 and we got down to a quarter tank and we had no means of getting our water supply filled we would drop drop lines and go so and i was sharing that with my crew i went out and shared that with your chief and he was basically like, yeah no you guys are set like you guys do you we're gonna do us up here and none of it really you know came to fruition and like scott says like when we were up on incoming in fire i had a pretty switched on crew of people <laughs> on the ground and as i've said here before my pump operator was was very um, concerned, I would say. So when we got there, I would say his trigger point was likely reached already. Um, and it, it progressed worse and worse and worse. Obviously, things got closer, and I mean there was fire not surrounding us, but it was almost to the point where, like the the last our emergency would have been if our exit was going to be impinged with fire, and we had no and we had no support at the bottom of the hill, which we did which then made our emergency line a little less worrisome because there was, there was support right at the bottom of our emergency route. So, well, and like you said, um, like we were, we were even talking like your primary plan could literally be cut and run. Like that could be your primary plan, it is, and which some people have to be in the emergency plan, but your primary plan could be like, Hey, we're going to hold here for the, to the last possible second and then get out of there. That's our primary plan. We know this fire is going to hit us hard, and our primary plan is literally going like, to get the hell out of here um, after it hits. So it, that might not even be your emergency plan. Um, so there could be those options too. Like um, one person's emergency plan is another person's primary plan. 
um, and kind of going back to what you were saying, like um, the guy running the pump at the time, you know, he, he was a seasoned guy, but he was seasoned from kind of the older tactics. So, you know, he was like, he wasn't, he, you know, he wasn't really privy to the new methods of how we were doing things. So he was kind of like, oh, he didn't know you were ready for this. And no, our, our crew was ready for this. So, um, that, and that really helped. So, um, but yeah, it, it really goes into that IEP now. So I'm starting to think of, on everything I do now, like, um, even if it's not wildfire based, it's like, you know, your primary, your alternate and your contingency and your emergency, like always have that in your head and not just one plan have, because you basically have one plan. So the pace is one plan, but it's, it's kind of different steps in those plans and knowing when the trigger point hits. Yeah, hundred percent. That that definitely overlaps into kind of our our day to day structure stuff, right? Uh, it's very easy how how that can tie into it. I think um, going back to just the trigger point discussion, what I was kind of talking about with our truck, like like as I see, like we had tr- certain trigger points that all the officers were, were aware, um, but our my members in the truck didn't really know kind of what it meant. So that was the conversation I was like, okay, guys, if you do you know what a trigger point? Yes, this trigger point is this when we change our plan of attack or change our our, our plan. So I said, okay, well, what what would you pick for our current you know instant action plan? And I'd let them pick, and then we'd discuss it. And then I said, okay, well, this is where I would pick it, and this is where we have picked it as instant command because of X Y Z. And then just just to get them learning and and slowly trying to figure that out, even more so going back. Uh, to the Inconeep fire when it came down to our end up towards Spirit Ridge. We had all of our sprinkler lines set up and everything. Sprinkler protection was ready to go. So at that point, it was just babysitting, waiting, waiting for it to arrive. So once it started coming in, um, when I was IC on that round, I just told our guys, okay, this is, this is going to be our trigger point when we're going we're gonna to fire up the pumps. And then and then we'll be setting back and we'll have our other engine ready for patrol and, and if needed, we'll, we'll deal with it as, as we need to and uh it hit that trigger point and even with that trigger point i was watching i was like man like there's there's no wind it's still gonna take a while for it to get to us so we ended up waiting another 30 minutes before we fired up the pumps and then once we fired up the pumps it still took 20 minutes 25 minutes for the fire to come towards the sprinkler line and uh yeah so even with that trigger point we needed to augment it a little bit yeah, and I think the trigger point's good because um, it doesn't mean that you do anything. The trigger point could just be a reassess. Like, yeah. just let's just reassess. So you hit the trigger point and then carry it on. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, anything else to really dive into from that course? Or? Uh, no, I think so. What's going to happen in um, April uh, with the engine boss course that I was talking about? Um, Grant and I are going to help um, TFL that course. I think we might just be some staging people. But kind of now we're getting the, into into the whole thing. Um, I think another big big point in that course was that the T cards, which um, which for the life of me, I actually thought they meant time cards. <laughs> and actually, I'm not really sure what they mean. Actually, what the T card stands for. But I always thought they were like some kind of weird punch card, like that they know that when it's when we were working. But re- actually, what it is, it's 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 just a, it's just a big accountability board. Um, so that was something that was like I was like oh. I get this now. It definitely makes more sense because it it covers the whole entire engine. So, like the captain or the engine boss would have his four people, the tags of his four people with him, so he would know who's on his truck. But realistically, the TFL doesn't need to know who those four people are on that truck. He just needs to know where that truck is. And 
is he has the names of the four people. So the T the T card, the, you know, when they first get there, and now I understand the importance of it because I was kind of like sloughing it off when I go into deployments and we're like, yeah, we'll get to we'll change the T card when we have time, right? Yeah, when we have time, we'll change. But the T card is actually very important because it's it's basically our accountability tag. So, um, you write you know your apparatus, um, all the information on it, and who's with who's with it, um, the driver, the the engine boss, everybody, and then that gets put into a, like kind of a, it's it's kind of looks like a little bit of a command board, and they they kind of stick out their their color coordinates like green or pumpers, and there's all these different colors. And then with a glance, the TFL can be like, okay, I got two. Um, pumpers, I got two tenders, I got a bush truck, and this is my this is who's on my on my task force. Um, so it's a, it's a it's just another uh, a method of accountability, but on a kind of a grander scale. And Grant and I were looking at where I think Grant actually ordered some because I want to be able to start using that. So it would have been helpful, like when when you guys came to help us, Todd, and then when uh, you know other departments start rolling in pre. Um, BC Wildfire because BC Wildfire has all this stuff. So when they roll in, you know they bring the they bring the circus with them. So they bring in the massive um, command units and all that stuff, and they have all this stuff. But for us, it would be nice to have. Okay, we got you know Todd Struck here, um, and then the, the instant commander could have just sat there and went, okay, we got these guys. Um, you know, this is what they this is what resource they brought. Um, oh, we have this department from no- the north that came down, and I feel that's going to be more how we're going to run things in the future. So we're going to start working on that. Yeah, that'll be good. I know the T cards. Every time I've, I've looked at that big board of T cards, it was like, "Wow, okay." There's a, there's a lot of fucking cards in the little slots, uh, but I didn't quite understand what it all meant either. Um, I learned a little bit, kind of snooping on that last fire that we're on. Um, but yeah, I really don't have a lot of experience with it. Yeah, same. Um, my major experience with BC Wildfire is kind of off off the jump like things haven't really set up yet like even um like locally we were doing our own thing um when we went to help ok falls like we were there in the first op- operational period uh willowbrook was coming off the back of the first operational period and there was so much shit happening throughout the province that like we didn't get a sps for the first two days yeah. so none of that was really rolling out um I think like key cards came out on my last day there and we got them started to get set up. But I, I decided I'm like, I'll get these set up, but your manpower is about to change tomorrow. So we're going to have to update this, but um, it definitely makes a a lot more sense. And again, that's why we take these courses. So I think that's really good. Uh, Yeah. We'll probably, probably wrap on that topic now. Uh, we'll definitely have a lot to chat about once uh, the course locally here kicks off. We'll get uh, Todd's take on Engine Boss, and Scott can go over uh, what doing some of some of that task force leader um, in scenario looks like. And what are we sitting here? We're like forty five minutes in. Do you want to touch base on some of your training, Todd, or save it for another night? Yeah, let's uh, let's bump it for another night. Um... We, because of our um, dedication to the truck ceremony that we did, uh, we didn't do a whole lot of our ice rescue stuff. And then I, I missed the majority of the ice rescue because I was out doing uh, driver training with some of our guys with our new rescue truck. So um, I, mean, I can talk about driving, but it's not very exciting. So let's bump it. Sweet. Yeah, maybe we'll save uh, you know training and tactics for next week. Uh, we've got our 
AGM actually next Thursday. So we're not going to have, unless we get some wicked calls from now until then, which actually has been pretty whatever. Uh, Come on, say it. Quiet. <laughs> All right, it's been pretty quiet. I'll say it. Um, so, because I've, hey? I've been away, I'll say it because I want some calls. Um, yeah, we've definitely tape, tapered off the last uh, week here or two. So, I think I handed the keys over to Rob on Thursday, and the pagers only only gone off for radio checks. So, um, unless something happens. Maybe we'll just uh, discuss some of our training tactics because we've been doing some live fire and searches. You guys have done driver training and ice rescue. So, yeah, we should have a lot to chat about. But let's go into uh, some shout outs. Todd, Modus. Modus, could we talk about them a lot? Big supporter of them. They are of us as well. Uh, the Snagger tool is the claim to fame. They have a lot of awesome products um, between their, their Snagger, their mini spanners, their wedges. Um, Seatbelt cutters, the textiles, the um, X pouch, um, their radio straps we get into, the gloves, uh, you name it. They're they're a fantastic company, fantastic product, Canadian uh, out uh, out east. Um, so yeah, please go check them out at the uh, Modus website and find them online. And DTFF five will get you five percent off the order. Yeah, so we, I'm watching Scott's computer stream here. I can see over the top top of mine. He was actually just on Bonus's website. Uh, yeah, Scott, stop the bleed. Yeah, so uh, bleeding is bad. Stop it. Um, three methods of bleeding control are uh, going to be direct pressure, wind packing, and tourniquet application. If uh, you're going to use a tourniquet, use a good one. Uh, part of the thing I was down uh, for the last month, I taught actually uh, helps teaching him recruits, and one of the things we teach him is stop the bleed. So uh, some. Uh, recruits in my other line of work. So uh, we teach them stop the bleed and we kind of throw some of those high fidelity sims at them, um, culminating with this massive scenario where we, you know, we have the emergency lights running, um, lights are off in this, we call this thing the simulation gym. So um, this, it's kind of this big drive-in garage where you can turn the lights off and um, you know, we had the blood pumps out, just pumping water on them and then they get to do simulation rounds. So, you know, rounds are hitting them like basically fast moving paintballs and then uh we're just crank the heavy metal and people are like why are we cranking heavy metal it's like well it's it's just that extra like stress of of situation like it's just you know it's not it's not because we well i enjoy heavy metal but it's not it's not for any reason that like it's not like because we're an action movie it's just you're cranking this music and it's and it just it creates more chaos because you know, you're trying to yell at the subject and then the subject's yelling at you and you're trying to yell at your partner to cover while you're, <laughs> you're trying to put tourniquets on and, you know, just the overall chaos. And, you know, one of the things is I hand them a ball and they're, you know, and they're, 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 their arm they're shot in. And I said, you know, you have to hold this and um, you can manipulate your, your firearm and you can manipulate your tourniquet, but you have to hold on to this, this ball. Uh, it's kind of, just kind of simulates that your hand isn't totally destroyed, but it's like, you're, it's kind of just, kind of in this claw thing now, right? So um, they kind of have to work through it. And they don't know any of this is happening until, you know, it's go time. So we've been kind of building them up. And then finally in the last scenario, it's like just mayhem. Um, there's water all over the floor from the from the blood, and and it's all just water. So um, when we bring the next crew, crew in, now there's water all over the floor. And the pre, um, my, my pre-talk to them is like, oh, we just put this water down as, as like, for part of the simulation, because you know you're working in Vancouver and it's raining, so they don't. They're like, oh, okay, 
Like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. We're like, yeah, we're just going to add some atmospheric conditions. Like, you know, you're going to be kind of, your pants might be wet because you're going to be kneeling in water. And they're like, okay. And then literally the lights go off. Emergency lights come on. Metal starts, music starts blaring. And then we start spraying with fake, fake blood and yelling at them. So um, it's it's really good. And it, and it gets them into that mindset. Then, you know, it's interesting listening to the octane of their uh, octave of their voice go up as they're trying to talk on the radio. And like, they're just yelling by the end. And, you know, and we, we haven't heard them yet, but they're just, or we haven't heard them at all. And they're just like, they're freaked. <laughs> it's actually pretty good. But they all did really well and got the tourniquets on and stopped the bleeding. Stop the bleep. <laughs> nice. Uh, and then you've got, uh, what do you got in that cup, John? It's a Wolf Street coffee made locally here. And uh, no, it's not whiskey. Uh, trust me. Wolf Street coffee made locally here. Check them out online. Absolutely love them. Uh, we were able to partner with them and make a blend uh, called the Initial Tack, which we are very privy to. Every pound sold of the Initial Tack blend. $2 goes to Honor House and Honor Ranch Society, which we are very, um, very, very big supporters of. So it's become uh, quite popular online. A lot of people are purchasing it, sounds like. And of course, because we made it, we like it. So uh, they got a bunch of swag as well. So wolftreecoffee.com. And uh, yeah, they will uh, deliver locally and uh, ship a lot of places. So check them out. Nice. And then lastly, you got uh, Tanner Olson Band, uh, country music out of West Coast Canada slash Nashville. Uh, got some new music coming out. Uh, they just released a new song. They're working on a bunch more. Um, playing a ton of live shows. I saw they were just playing at uh, Tootsie's Bar, which is pretty big in Nashville there, so that's pretty sweet. Um, so check them out. Uh, follow them on social media. Uh, download their music anywhere that you download music. Uh, really, really good stuff. And then you have us. Um, we're on the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the YouTubes, um, TikToks. Um, back to the Stop the Bleed. Uh, we've got the entire course. Uh, Scott and Todd uh, basically teach through the entire Stop the Bleed course, uh, talking about and showing a lot of those higher fidelity sims. Uh, we've got some other training content on there as well, as well as all of our podcasts. So if you want to see us zone out and laugh at each other, uh, while we're sitting here doing this, all of our uh, content goes on YouTube as well. Uh, yeah, so please give us a like, share, subscribe. Uh, we thank you for listening in this far. Um, give us some feedback. Uh, send us a message. Uh, we did get a couple new ones uh, that were you. But, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, our T-shirt sales are still going on there. Uh, we are wrapping that up. We're getting, uh, we definitely have some left, but we're getting towards the end of the stock. So, uh, if you're interested, uh, we do have some of all sizes left. Uh, DTFF store. Uh, look for that link on our Facebook page, and you can grab that. Anything else from you guys? Nope. Thank you. Have a good night. Thanks. Have a good night. All right. As always, stay safe. Stay DTFF. <laughs>